Have you just realized that your life is not going exactly how you planned or where you thought it was going? Do you feel like you hit a brick wall everywhere you turn and just, if you didn't have, if you had anything but bad luck, you wouldn't have luck at all. There are people who feel that way. And you know what? My guest today knows exactly what that feels like and has changed his life around for the better. Author Nate Rifkin is joining me today. Guys, he has had bumps and bruises and is here to share with us the way he found to get through all of it. This is going to be a great show, guys. Don't miss out. Let's get into it. Be better tomorrow because of what you do today. All right. My name is Brent. This is the Fallible Man Podcast, and we make content for men, husband, father, whatever role you fill. And today we have author Nate Rifkin with us today to talk about his book, The Standing Meditation. And it was a delightful read, I have to tell you. I read lots of books doing podcasts, and I really, really enjoyed reading this book. I feel like I got so much out of it. Uh, I feel like this book can speak to people on so many levels. I think there's something for everybody. You did an incredible job writing it. Oh, thank you. I really, really appreciate that. Will you tell my audience, who is Nate Rifkin and why are you here today? Yeah, sure. Um, So who I am is actually kind of why I'm here today, uh, because I'm a guy who used to be really miserable, uh, came from a family of really emotionally shut down people and parents that really had no, like, they weren't equipped to wait to raise kids. They, they had no business doing it. So I'm a guy who got into self-help and worked at it like a madman and utterly failed, didn't get the results he wanted. Um, I used to drink alcohol every morning. Um, and it's funny because a lot of people will be like, oh, you know, uh, do you ever like try and work on yourself and set goals, but you're never consistent? And, you know, that's why it hasn't worked out for you. And I'm like, well, no, actually, I was consistent. Uh, and I did actually try it all. I set goals and visualizing it, and it, it did not work. I gave it a thorough test. So that's and, and it wasn't until I turned my life around which kind of segues from who I am to why I'm here kind of bridging that gap is because when I started learning more like esoteric practices that come from um, the Taoist spiritual tradition, that's when things started to turn around. And when I started practicing those and started really changing from the inside out, Mm -hmm. that's when all the other external stuff started to work like I wanted it to work. So yeah, that's why I'm here because now I'm like, I want to shout from the rooftops about, you know, everything I kind of learned and went through. The book is called The Standing Meditation, and I really, truly enjoyed reading it. Like I said, I get to read a lot of books uh, in this, and I really, really just enjoy sitting down and reading it. In fact, uh, I'm definitely keeping that on my bookshelf, and I've made some notes along the way, but most people have no idea what that is. I I know when you reached out, I'm like, The Standing Meditation, what is that? And so I'm sure more than a few of our listeners today are asking that question. So walk us through what is the standing meditation or the immortal post? Sure. Um, That in a nutshell is the like the foundation that turned my life around. Um, So to, to explain, I have to back up a bit. So it comes from a spiritual tradition called Taoism, which goes back like thousands of years. The theory is it came from it started with like shamans in Siberia and they, they, um, 
eventually settled in uh, uh, China. And that's where the, like, the tradition proliferated. Um, and a lot of that knowledge is now getting s- spread to the, the Western world and other parts of the world. So the Taoists, th- there's, a, there's a heavy you know, philosophical base. In fact, a lot of quotes that we know about today that you might have heard of, like the journey of a thousand miles begins with one step, that actually comes from Taoism. Chinese herbalism, acupuncture, that all comes from Taoism. It's all kind of under that uh, umbrella. Now, what's interesting is that the Taoists also had a practical system of, of inner work, working on oneself, and, and, and a lot of that involves meditation. So just like you could walk into an acupuncturist's office and get a treatment which is working on the energy of your body, the, the meridians of your body, which are basically like channels of energy. You can also like give yourself your own energetic like treatment. I like to call it like an energetic power wash. And you do it via the standing meditation. Now, when I first learned meditation, like, I don't know, like 15 years ago, you know, I'd read stuff like, oh, you just sit and observe your thoughts and relax and it's great it's great to relieve stress etc cetera, etc cetera. and i tried it i mean if it works for some people it's great but i got like kind of hazy on it and i just kind of wondered it's like you know what did i do with the last 15 minutes so i was i was just like kind of like okay meditation whatever but when i started the standing meditation it was different it, it's, it engages your body much more first because you're standing up and you're not just like standing in line like you would or standing like you would in line at a, a bank or something like that. You're actually standing, as you saw, with your knees unlocked. Um, your feet are facing forward. Your knees are unlocked and your hips are tucked as if you're standing on like a really high bar stool. So you're actually you have to engage your muscles and your tendons to hold yourself in this position while simultaneously you focus on relaxing. So here you are being challenged, but you have to practice relaxation in the face of that challenge. So you're integrating your physical body, your mental focus, while simultaneously, energetically, you're, you're, you're getting this experience where energy is flowing through your body. It's dissolving blockages of energy within your body. And oftentimes this can resolve emotional like blockages, emotional hangups and trauma and eliminate like the patterns that result from this emotional trauma. So that's like the essence of the staying meditation. And I started practicing it like, oh, it's it's more than more than a decade ago by now. And once I started doing that, I like my thoughts have changed, even though I wasn't like trying to change my thoughts with positive thinking my feelings would change, even though I wasn't like really like focused on emotional work. And that's when I realized there's something really cool going on here. And I've been um, healthily obsessed with it uh, ever, ever since then. I reading your book, I, you know, looked at the chapter on how to do this. And I've been doing this for, I think the last six days now on a regular basis. Um, Not quite at the same time every day i've been trying to get it in pretty close but you know hit or miss right now with everything going on but i've been i've been getting to a couple rounds of like a minute and a half to two minutes at a time trying to do at least two rounds every day 
just because I, I wanted to understand. I, I wanted to experience this myself and see what it feels like and uh, have a better understanding of what the book was talking about from that perspective. You did a really good job like illustrating that and putting that in there. So it was easy to understand. I appreciate that. Keep the, cool, keep the level down on that one. So all of us can understand that one. And I got to say, you know, it, it definitely, you, you said it well in the book. There are definitely mom, moments of uncomfortable in the stance, but I, yesterday I was doing it and I, I strained something on my shoulder recently. I've been having a lot of pain from my shoulder all the way to my hand. So I just started focusing in on just breathing in to that shoulder pain. And I, yesterday, like it just, it felt so good. I, I could feel mm. like with every breath in, like this focus of just soothing to that aggravation in my shoulder. So, you know, I, I don't have the experience with you that you do with it, but I, I've been impressed with it. I, I'm like you, I, I've tried meditation before and I could never like, you know, you get that picture in your head of somebody sitting on a rock, like the Buddhist monks, right? Just sitting cross-legged yeah. legged for Ooh, days at a time. You're like, can you still walk? I, I, if I sit cross-legged <laughs> for more than 10 minutes, man, I can't even use my right leg at this point. My, my knee just locks up. So that, that was always my approach. So I try and like fold myself in pretzel positions and stuff like that. I've uh, done some yoga for uh, some of the injuries I have to try and you know, soothe those and make my life a little better. But the standing meditation was a very different experience. And I, I actually enjoyed doing it while I was reading the book because it helped me. I, I thought it, it translated to understanding what you were trying to say in the book a little more to actually try and practice it while I was reading the book. So cool. it was an interesting wonderful. experience. I'm glad, I'm br- yeah. Glad to hear about your shoulder. Um, it's, it's still... It's still a little tender, but it was some nice relief while I was doing it. And uh, I I'm, think I'm going to try and I want to say I'm going to commit to doing it for like the rest of the month. But I'm, I'm going to try to keep doing it at least once a day for the rest of the month just to, you know, give it a chance to really start flowing and give myself a chance to adapt to it, becoming part of a routine maybe. And great. Uh, see how that goes. Uh, you were talking about Taoism. And I have a limited understanding of Taoism. Most people think of it as a as a religious aspect. And reading your book and what little bit I could, you know, look up on it, to me, it almost seemed more like a collective thought of almost like a scientific collective trying to understand the mysteries of the world and the energies of the world and how it all worked together and connected almost more than a religious aspect. Uh, can you clarify that at some? I, I actually think you nailed it. Yeah. Uh, it, it, they were, it's like a group of people just exploring their, their environment and, you know, just putting the pieces together of, of how to thrive in that environment harmoniously. Um, and, you know, the way I like to say it is that, you know, Taoism is like a mystical tradition. So there's a philosophy, there's like the, the scientific aspect, which, which, you know, I think just, which is what naturally led to things like acupuncture and and Chinese herbalism Mm -hmm. and meditation. Um, 
and there actually is also a religious aspect because um, there, there are actual Taoist temples or Taoist uh, priests. Um, and I, I've found I'm not like totally. Uh, it's, it's, it's not like I, I've done exhaustive research, but um, I found like every single mystical tradition is like this. I mean, there's like like Buddhism is similar. There's a philosophy. There's a practical application. Mm-hmm. So tra- you know, traditions all over the world, even ones whose I haven't been able to research, I would bet they're the same way. So it's almost like there are these branches, and um, I like to think that you know you can you can kind of pick and choose which one you know resonates with you, you know, based on what you're looking for and what you need. Okay. So yeah. the standing meditation, you know, you you artfully tell stories that really illustrate your points throughout the book. And that was a lot of fun. Nothing. And it seemed to be this foundational thing that you just came back to in every moment in every situation as you were experiencing all these changes. And I want to say just experiencing life because life is uh, kind of insane. Everybody has this idea. It's going to be like smooth sailing and so perfect. And it's like, yeah, and then oh, life yeah. happens. Told you when we started uh, yes. the conversation, I, I was not expecting to spend Father's Day trying to fix broken plumbing with all the hardware stores closed. Uh, you just, you know, life has a way of surprising you. But in yes, chapter, chapter ten, you talk about being anti-fragile, mm-hmm. which I, I really like the concept. You talk specifically about the benefits of acceptance, allowing you to gain perspective without your emotions interfering. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. That was um, that was one of the trickier uh, sections to write because I re- I really had to like focus because it's, it's such a it's such a difficult concept. It's a subtle one, but I think it's very profound. Um, I, I first started studying the concept of uh, anti fragility with um, uh, Taleb's book, uh, Nassim Taleb, and his book is called Anti Fragile. It's I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a tough book to read. I mean, you, cause you have to focus on it, but it's, it's, I think it's brilliant and it's fun and, and it's fun. He's a very engaging writer, but the, the idea is that you can, you can categorize systems or, and systems could, or it could be objects or living things, basically any kind of thing you can categorize it based on how it responds to uh, stress or stressors or, or, um, or consistent stress. And the way he did it was you have fragile, you have uh, robust and anti-fragile. So a fragile thing is like a ceramic dish. Um, it, if, if you provide just a tiny bit of stress relatively, you know, it can shatter. If you have like a metal dish, you could, you could apply the same amount of stress and it, it, won't, it won't shatter at all, it just remain the same. So it's robust. Um, and this is all like within a certain amount of range. Like if you, you know, if you, if you like poke a ceramic dish, that's not enough stress to make it shatter, even even if it is kind of like considered fragile. And if you um, if you blowtorch a metal dish, I don't care how robust it is, you're probably going to melt that bad boy. But here's the thing: a lot of people would say like, "Oh, so fragile and robust are like the opposite of each other." But that's that's actually not the case. They're just a progression on a continuum. So a, a robust 
thing is only just stronger than something that's fragile. To be opposite of fragile, it doesn't mean to be stronger. What it means is that when you're hit with stress, you become more robust. You don't remain the same. You don't just withstand it. Stress is actually, uh, it actually adds to your ability to, to withstand stress. That's what being anti-fragile truly is. And it's such a, like a kind of a unusual concept that um, from what I understand, we did not have a word for it in the English language until uh, Taleb came along and wrote a book about it. So I thought, well, this is really fascinating. And then as I started like thinking about this, I, you know, I mean, of course, what's so great about antifragility is that wherever you can make yourself anti-fragile or wherever you can identify anti-fragile things, that can help you improve your life. It can help in the world of investment, because let's say like there's there's stress within the world or we have like a, a shocking event that might uh, collapse uh, certain industries on the planet. It's good to invest in something that is actually anti-fragile. So not only do your savings not disappear if, a, if an industry goes bad, they could actually increase. That, and that's sort of the angle uh, uh, Taleb was writing about in the book. Mm -hmm. But it also applies to human health. And it also applies to to your own psychology, your your inner self. So I, I was I was like thinking about all this, and how like living things are really meant to be anti fragile. The reason exercise is so good for us is because exercise stresses us. Hmm. Now, chronic stress, or like um, ha having uh, uh, the news blaring at us twenty four hours a day, you know, and tuning in every single day. That stress is probably not going to make us stronger. It's it's probably actually going to harm us because it's this like slow drip, constant chronic stress. But if there's an acute stressor, mm -hmm. like say um, curling a curling a dumbbell for ten reps and then resting for a couple of days, you're actually when you're curling that dumbbell, you're damaging your muscle tissue. I mean that's what's happening. But if you do it within a certain range and then take some time off, your, your body will grow back stronger. So we, we are all anti-fragile in that respect. So I kept on thinking about this and I realized, you know, when you engage in a meditative practice, it's actually a, it's actually a gateway to make yourself more anti-fragile, especially when you, when you uh, meditate the way that the Taoists teach. Because what they teach is that during a, a meditation, especially the standing meditation, you relax your physical body. You drain away tension in your muscles, even though you might be holding um, a stance that, as you've experienced, Brent, is, is, is really difficult to hold. So what happens is you're, you're, you're training yourself to, in the face of a challenge to actually relax even more. So what's really cool, um, and you might be able to actually practice this uh, with your wife, is that uh, someone can come along and actually like push down on one of your shoulders and they can kind of push down and push kind of inward toward the center of your body. And what will happen is if you're relaxing your muscles properly and you've unlocked your knees, you've tucked your hips, a little, you know, in a very gentle way and you, you're like straightening out your spine, they can push as hard as they like, but what's going to happen is all that force they push is going to transfer down your body, through your feet, and into the floor. And you'll actually become more stable as a result. You don't have to fight against them. If just by standing there, you can not only withstand their force, 
but you'll actually become more rooted and stable as a result. I'm like, you know, this is a really cool metaphor for life. How can we start ch- arranging our lives and, 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 and transforming ourselves inwardly so that when we're hit with stress, we can act- it actually makes us stronger and we can actually feel more relaxed in the face of that. So, so that's, that's why I wrote about it in the book. And I, and I think like, that's what really helped me in terms of like practicing this meditation, even though I didn't really realize it at the time is that I was training myself to relax more, even in the face of something that was just like, Oh, like, Oh, I want to stop. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to just like stand up or sit down and end this. But instead of just like merely like gritting my teeth and withstanding it, I mean, it's kind of like the subject of your of your podcast. It's like men are frequently taught. It's like, no, you got to tough it out. That's just being strong. Being anti-fragile would be, it's not just about toughing it out. It's about actually maintaining your relaxation in the face of something that's tough. So, so that way you're not just trudging through challenges in life. You're leaving yourself open and aware enough to be able to come up with more creative solutions. So yeah, so that's that's sort of the, uh, the that's why I wrote about it in the book. You uh, gave the example of Million Dollar Baby line in the book, I believe, about uh, you know tough tough isn't enough. Yeah, that's right. Tough ain't enough. <laughs> I actually uh, really struggled with parts of the pose just because I'm I'm a weightlifter and I mm-hmm. heavy weightlifting. So, so many pieces of it are counter to what my body is. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I've, I've squatted over 500 pounds. I've deadlifted over six. That's good. Um, it is so, like, my body is so conditioned to the position you need to be in for protecting everything and making sure it stacks right under such a load. The idea of tucking my hips under, like, like I, the, when I read it, I just got like, like shudder down my spine it's like you want me to do what no yeah just, just no i have <laughs> i have lower spine damage so i am obsessive about proper form uh being in the gym is what has actually made it where i'm functional due to the spinal damage but because of that i know how to do it correctly to protect that and to make it work and I know it happens the second you're out of alignment for that lift. So trying to, you know, round in the upper back and roll my hips under was just like, uh, I, I, um, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's super weird. And, you know, some of the, uh, a teacher I learned from and, and, and other folks that I've actually trained with, they're, they're really into lifting weights and especially kettlebells. And yeah, there's, there's such a, there's actually a bigger learning curve because it goes against how your central nervous system is programmed. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's like, it goes, like you said, it goes against every principle of lifting a heavy weight because rather than your body supporting an external weight, you're actually trying to uh, achieve a state where you feel like you, you are weightless and it's, you know, you're not carrying anything. You're not holding anything at all. You don't have to brace yourself uh, in, in order to like, you know, lift something up or push something over your head. So yeah, it's totally different. Guys, if you're getting something out of this, be sure and click that like button or subscribe wherever you are. 
leave us a comment on whatever platform you're on, guys. I read all the comments, and I love to hear what you have to say about the show. We're going to roll to our sponsor, and we're going to be right back with more with Nate. Don't miss out. Today's episode brought to you by TheFallibleMan.com. That's right, it's us. Head over to www.TheFallibleMan.com and check out our blog, updated twice a week with new content and links to all of our social media offerings. Tag or search us at The Fallible Man or at Fallible Man on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and other social medias for daily content. While you're there, check out our attitude swag, shirts, cups, stickers, and more. Again, that's www.thefallibleman.com. Welcome back. We're here with author Nate Rifkin discussing his new book, The Standing Meditation, and how he used a specific form of Taoist meditation to change his world entirely. We'll have the link in the description and in the show notes on all the platforms. Now, Nate, before we proceed any farther, let's address the elephant in the room because I'm sure you've heard this before. Somebody's going to ask, how can a person of a specific faith match this up? Because I don't think it necessarily is a contradiction. Um, I grew up in Christian churches. I actually used to be a minister. My father was a minister. And I don't feel like this interferes with my religious beliefs or spirituality in any way. But somebody is going to be like, oh, that's a... How, how do we sure. click these together? Um, you know, that's a great question. And it's, it's, it's kind of, it's, it is tricky to navigate because um, everyone, everyone's, you know, uh, path is different. What I found is that it, it goes back to what we talked about earlier and how Taoism ha- gave, kind of birthed all these different branches. So someone, uh, you know, a Buddhist faith or, or a Christian faith, you know, they can still uh, take advantage of like uh, a Chinese herbal regimen to improve their health. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it might not necessarily conflict with their beliefs. Um, and I think in the same way, uh, one can engage in a meditative practice without it conflicting with their beliefs, because even though meditation can be part of one's spiritual walk, meditation is not necessarily a spiritual practice. It doesn't have to be. Because you're working with your energy and you're working with improving your emotional health and your psychological health and your, and your physical health. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you're, you're doing something spiritual. You know, you could have someone that wants no part of spirituality, but still benefit from this meditation. Now, just it, it gets a little subtle and tricky because this can be a part of a spiritual practice. I know people who do this meditation before they pray because it puts them into a state where they are feeling a lot better. It's like they are a cleaner vessel to communicate with God. So, so that's, that's how I would answer that. And, and it is true, of course, that there is a religious aspect to Taoism, but you can be as in touch with that as you want to be, or you can be uh, completely distant from that. Uh, it's, it's actually interesting because um, a couple of my teachers, they started as born-again Christians. Mm-hmm. And as they actually studied Taoism and practiced it, they did not 
lose uh, or even abandon the Christian faith. They actually found the two could coexist because ultimately it's like every spiritual tradition. It's like you're starting at the bottom of a mountain and you have each tradition will have a different path up the mountain. Now, as you get closer, your paths actually get closer and closer and closer. As you get to the top of the mountain, you're all, you're all, you're all going toward the same space. And it's and if and if it's a spiritual walk, the space is is connecting with God, and that's not going to be different in Taoism at all. It's it's the same thing. So so you know that's how I'd answer that. But but is it is an important point. So yeah, I was just curious because I I'm sure right you've you've heard that question before. Someone had to be like, uh, how do you square this up, right? Yeah, yeah, it's de- it's definitely come up for sure. So yeah, it's important to talk about that. Now, before we go any further, guys, question of the show: Do you personally practice some form of meditation currently? And if so, what do you do? Is it something specific? Do you do the, you know, cross your legs and sit like a Buddhist monk in some quiet place? Do you use yoga for meditation? Do you just sit in a quiet room? What is your practice if you currently practice and is it something you would try? Comment below, guys. I respond to all my comments. I love hearing what you guys have to say and just sharing and being part of the community. So put that in the comments below. Now, in chapter 14, like I said, I took lots of notes. <laughs> cool. Oh, you I were talking it. about tempering your emotions by understanding the ebb and flow of life. And the value of not letting emotions control your perspective. Will you please share with us on that concept? Oh yeah, definitely. Oh, our emotions are useful. They are. They they do have a function. The trouble is, we kind of we never really got a training manual for what the heck these emotions are and how to work with them. And and as a result, what happens is. It's what's that old phrase, putting the cart before the horse. What happens is we get led around by our emotions. And, and ultimately that, that leads to a lot of self-sabotaging behavior. I mean, I, I, think I, I, I think I wrote in the book, but I definitely joked about how, you know, when like email programs like Gmail came up with that concept where after you send an email, a little button appears for five seconds to be like, are you sure you want to send that? You can like stop sending it now. Maybe it was AOL, but. Either way, they invented that for me because I've I've fired off so many angry emails in my life. That's purely emotional because five seconds after you do it, you're just like, whoa, what? Why, why did I do? And you either like send the apology or the awkward like, you know, silence or anyway. But here's the thing. So I, I, I started by saying emotions are useful because they're like alert systems. So if you get angry, that what that is, it is an, is an alert system that you are being trapped or you're under attack in some way. That's what it's meant for. That you're there's an there's an injustice occurring, and that you you, you need to like uh, pay attention to it. I mean, fear is it could be your life is being threatened in some way. So all these alert systems are meant to like instantly draw your attention to something, you know, quicker than a logical explanation. Now, the problem is we, in our, in our current day and age, our emotions are constantly triggered. And instead of regarding them as like this instant alert system, we dwell in them. 
it's just like it's just like we talked about a stress that makes you stronger versus chronic stress well we've got chronic emotions Mm -hmm. so we might suffer from chronic worry and chronic anger and even actually uh chronic overexcitement because the Taoists actually consider excitement to potentially be a negative emotion we're talking about like the frenetic like uh, excitement because you've lived in that too long i mean you're going to bounce the other way uh you're you know it, that could lead to like adrenal burnout so the key to temper to tempering our emotions is not necess- it's not living like a robot it's not stuffing down our emotions it's not ignoring our emotions and you know we've met these people i i actually had a former teacher like that who was just like whew. i mean he was like oh, i'm you know he never said it specifically but i always picture him be like i'm very spiritually developed you know because i'm very centered it's like dude you're just you've stuffed that stuff down for so long <laughs> that you may think you are but but really it's just like a, a coping mechanism mm. so it's not to become a robot. The key, though, is actually to acknowledge your emotions for what they are. If you feel fear, if you feel worry, or if you feel anger, that is that is like a, a warning message that you're supposed to pay attention to something. Now, after you figure out what you're supposed to pay attention to, you acknowledge the emotion. You acknowledge that you're feeling this way. It's like, okay, I get it. You know, I'm scared right now. Again, it's like men... <laughs> We certainly did not get this training early on. The fact that you can actually acknowledge your emotion. But once you do, you're creating separation from it. And you can actually, you know, let it pass. And you could be grateful for it. Because gratitude for your emotion is another way that you can actually let that, paradoxically, that you can allow that emotion to settle down. It's when we start fighting against our emotions that they actually get stronger. It's almost as if, like, emotions are... uh, anti-fragile in that sense if you start fighting them they're going to come back in greater numbers whereas if you acknowledge it and you feel gratitude for it and 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 for its ability to instantly get you to focus on something that could be going wrong that's how you can start to like have your emotions be more tempered and to live with that and as it's like i wrote in the book this is a a law it's probably a lifelong practice but it's, it's a very, very worthwhile one because um, what you'll find is that as you're able to sort of temper your emotions for and acknowledge that, you know, feelings do have a use and that and you, and you use your feelings to kind of direct your attention to something that needs to be addressed in your life. What's going to happen is instead of going through this like up and down yo-yo of life of things going bad and then things going well, the, the, the yo-yo life you experience will start to sort of angle upward. You know, it'll, it's like, yeah, you can have good days and really bad days, but the overall trajectory is going to start to get better over time. And after years of this, you'll have a bad day and you'll look back and realize, you know what, this bad day is actually, I would have considered this to be a good day 10 years ago or even five years ago. We're never, I mean, as long as we're on planet Earth, we're not going to be able to get rid of those highs and lows. But by working with them properly, it, at least we're going to make some some kind of use from them. So that's that's what I talk about when I say uh, tempering your emotions. Okay. So yeah, yeah. You talk about optimizing your life with the eighty twenty rule. You want to touch on that for a minute? 
Yeah, I mean, the AE20 rule is super cool. It comes from, it's funny, we were just talking about memorizing stuff that, you know, when you when you have to edit it and write and stuff. It comes from a researcher in Italy, but I do not remember his name. It is in the book, though. <laughs> but, what he but what he discovered was that, I think it was land was the first thing he discovered. He started looking at plots of land and who owned the land. And he realized 20% of people actually owned 80% of the land in Italy. Mm -hmm. And this took him on a journey where he realized so much stuff and so many concepts in our, our society fit into this 80-20 rule. And a couple of things happened from there. There's, um, there's an investor, his name's Richard Koch, and he took this 80-20 rule and he actually started applying it to personal development. He, he wrote a book about how well, not only are like their concepts where 20% of something is related to 80% of something else, like land ownership or, 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 or the flow of currency, like things like that, or the size of like uh, oceans or things, you know, you know, fill in yeah. the blank there. It's also something where an action can result in. A, a result where 20% of your actions result in 80% of your results, good or bad, by the way. So he, he could, he related it to how maybe 20% of your investments might actually result in 80% of your profits or a bad investment. 20% could result in 80% of your losses. So I started thinking about how, you know, 20% of what I do probably does result in 80% of the output, the benefit. Like say, if you're at the gym, and I mean, I'm not saying this for, for you or me, but some other person might be in the gym and they might be chatting someone up for an hour, you know, just kind of wasting their time. When they actually stand up to do an exercise, that 20% is really what's going to lead to their results. Now let's take this a step further. An author named Perry Marshall wrote a book where he, he described how 80-20 isn't just 80-20. You can take it further. It, you could take it to the point where 4% of your actions might actually result in, I think it was something like 60-something percent of your results. And 1% of your actions result in like 51% of your results. So it's like the 20% of the 20% delivers you the 80% of the 80%. So you, you could like look at it on the graph. And I started thinking about this and I realized, you know, this could apply to like friendships. Like you could have one person that you spend half your time with in terms of friends, whereas maybe your core group of like four or five people might be most of your time. And then you have your acquaintances. They could be the 80% of people, but you only spend 20% of your time with them. I mean, it, it applies to our living situations and landing the plane here are habits. Because you can examine, if, if you take the time to examine your habits, you might realize, oh, wow, this little habit here that takes only a few seconds per day actually probably contributes to 80% of my problems, which is probably true for me with drinking alcohol. Or this habit over here, it only takes a few minutes, but it probably contributes to maybe not 80% of my results, but it's like 51% of my results. And so I started thinking, what are the habits that actually contribute the most? And for me, 
I came up with say, say paying myself first, like saving money mm-hmm. before I spend it all on entertainment or even before I necessarily pay my bills. Until I started saving money and giving it to myself, I was on a hamster wheel in terms of my um, my income and my spending because it didn't matter how high or low my income went. If I didn't pay myself first, it all went somewhere. So that was that like little 1% that actually led to like half of my results and finally becoming uh, financially stable. The meditation for me was probably the biggest one because when you get into that centered space from a meditative practice, your, your emotions become more tempered. You become more creatively uh, open. You become more energized. Uh, you're eliminating your self-sabotaging uh, patterns. That's going to have a knockoff effect on everything you do. It's going to have a positive effect on your relationships, how you relate to your spouse. It's going to have a positive effect on your career, whether you know, you're an employee or whether you're an entrepreneur. And even though it was only 1% of your day, maybe, I forget what 1% of 24 hours is. It might be like uh, 15 minutes or something like that. It's going to have a knockoff, a positive knockoff effect on the rest of your day. So the way that, that I implement this on a practical level is I don't, when I wake up in the morning, I do not check my phone. Uh, I do not get online. I don't do anything um, before doing some kind of meditation. Because I just have a working assumption that once I check my phone, my day is just going to go to hell. Yeah. That's just my working assumption. <laughs> it's fair now, enough for most of us. Like, oh, yeah. It's just like, that's it. You're done. <laughs> now, sometimes that's not true, but other times it definitely is. So I want to make sure that I engage in one of those like 1% habits. Because we all, we all have the same 24 hours. You know, time, we, we can't buy more time necessarily, but we can leverage it better. And I'm kind of, I've got like a healthy obsession with leverage. I'm always looking, it's like, how can I leverage the money I save? Where, where can I invest it so that it's, it's going to accumulate even if I have a really crappy day? Mm-hmm. You know, how, how can I implement meditation to my day so that even if I'm blindsided with, with something an hour later, maybe I'll react and respond to it in a more healthy way than if I did not. I'm still fallible, but how can I at least increase that you know, adaptation just a little bit to be a little bit more healthy and a little bit more harmonious? Because if I do, guess what? 80-20, day after day, after day, after day, it's going to accumulate bit by bit. And that's just going to make the difference between like a happy, fulfilled life and not. It's as much as we'd like it to be some wild overnight success story. It's those little wins. It's those little bits of leverage. Mm-hmm. Um, it's taking advantage of that 80-20 concept over and over and over that that's going to make the difference. So, so yeah, today, I mean, I'm always kind of, it's almost like a healthy paranoia. I'm always looking for where am I going to get sucked into something that's going to take up 20% of my time. And it's just going to end up with like this 80% result that's going to make my life worse. So I'm, I'm always kind of on the lookout for stuff that brings me down and time wasters in that respect. What's next for Nate Rifkin? 
Uh, more writing. More writing? Because uh, I love it. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm already um, working on book number two, and I just absolutely love it. I'm one, I, if I don't write, man, I go nuts. So, so that's what's next for me. And, you know, I really, I really appreciate that you're, you're um, enjoying my book and getting something out of it. What's next for me is more of that. Can I, can I put out more books that are going to help more people and, and get to talk with folks like yourself? Well, you're going to have to come back if you do another book. If, you know, if we, we're going to have to do a follow-up if you got a second book coming. Deal. I'm, I'd love to. I'm in. So thank you for having me back. Where can people find you, Nate? My book is on Amazon, and it's called The Standing Meditation. Uh, and people can just go to thestandingmeditation.com. And that right now, that just forwards straight to the Amazon page. And, you know, in terms of finding me, I think that's the best way to do it. Because, you know, I put I put three years into that book. And if, if anything I said here today resonates, people are going to love the book. Like, because that goes, I mean, that's just goes, way, it goes way deeper um, on a lot of stuff. And, you know, in the book, I've got some links where people can go deeper than that. So that's that if, if someone were starting at ground zero, I, I would say that's the best way. OK, I, I think I could go on for hours, but I want to be respectful of your time. So thank you for joining me today, guys. I highly recommend Nate's book. You need to go get yourself a copy. Go to the link that was there. There will be a link in the description, a link in the show notes. Nate shares some incredibly valuable universal insights, guys. There's just so much there if you will let yourself unpack it and enjoy it. I've been enjoying experimenting with the immortal post in my own life and just seeing where that goes and how that feels. And But the lessons, the lessons in the book are universal in so many ways. Thank you for joining us today. Guys, thank you for your time. Be better tomorrow because of what you do today. And we'll see you next time. This has been the Fallible Man Podcast. Your home for everything man, husband, and father. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a show. Head over to www.thefallibleman.com for more content and get your own Fallible Man gear.